Hey, hey, hey. This is Lisa A., and you're listening to Who's That Star on LCC Connect at Lansing Community College. Who's That Star is a behind-the-scenes show where I sit down and talk with the employees at the college. This is an inside look at LCC where you will have a chance to learn about their passions, projects, what inspires them both at work and in their personal lives. I'm your host, Lisa Alexander. I'm so excited to get a chance to talk to all the people who make LCC great. This show is for you to get to know the people that work at Lansing Community College a little bit more and see what makes them tick. Are you ready? Okay, let's go see who's today's star. Today's star is a Michigan native, and she grew up in Greenville. She started her collegiate beginnings at Lake Superior State College, eventually transferring to MSU, where she earned a master's in vocational rehabilitation. She's had a couple professional jobs before she came to LCC. She worked for the state of Michigan for almost eight years, helping people with disabilities obtain education and or career skills and find employment. This led to her job at LCC, where she started in the Office of Disability Support Services, now called the Center for Student Access. After 18 years in that role, she was transferred into a general counseling position, where she feels she has found her greatest passion. She is a passionate person and great fun to be around. She has many hobbies and things she enjoys that we will explore later on in the interview. Okay, are you ready to learn who's today's star? Today's star is Pamela Davis. Pam, we are so glad to have you on Who's That Star today. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm really glad to be here. Yes, I'm excited to have you on here, too, because I, I love your role. I mean, I think that what you do is really important. So I'm excited to jump in and find out how you help our students. Also, you know, what you like about your job and then what you do outside of your job and be painless today. All right. Yeah. All right. So I wanted to know, like, how long have you worked at LCC? I will have been at LCC 28 years this coming March. Wow. Okay, that's a long time. It is. So you've seen a lot of different things. I sure have. And you said when you started here, your job title was different. Yes. What was that job again? Well, I started in what was then called the Office of Disability Support Services. So Mm -hmm. I was a counselor for students with disabilities. Okay. And we would help the student... um, pick their classes, but then also make sure they had the right accommodations. Okay. Uh, Work with the instructors, help them provide the accommodations appropriately if they had any questions, and just really advocate for the the students with disabilities on campus. Oh, wow. I I guess I never really knew that. Uh, Yeah. Because that was way, that was not way, but it was before I came here and the, the, the jobs were different. Yes. So... Now you, because that role, they changed the department or they changed your role. How did you move from that role into the general counseling position now? Well, gosh, let's see, about 10 years ago or so now, they reconfigured, they figured out counselors did not need to be in that position, that Mm -hmm. they could hire other people to do that work. And then they shifted me and 
Monica as well into uh, full-time counselor positions right? and staff that office differently. Yeah, I mean, and I can see the way that it was previously. I can see where that would be beneficial because it's like you have the um, the mental health professional that's able to help that student navigate different frustrations and things like that, mm-hmm. but it kind of limits you to who you could really serve, you know what I mean? Right. And in this way now, it seems like with a general advice, I mean, general counseling position, could you tell me a little bit more about the population that you are able to serve now versus in the past? Oh, sure, yeah. Before, I just uh, strictly work with students with disabilities, and only a small percentage of them maybe wanted the mental health side of counseling types of things, which was always my favorite part of the job. Right. So now that in the position I have now, 100% of the students I see, well, maybe 99% um, are there for mental health reasons, anxiety, depression, uh, relationship issues, roommate issues. Uh, they may be going through a loss, so they might be grieving, mm-hmm. um, substance abuse, any kind of thing that you could think of with mental health, we can help the students with. And so that's any student on campus, really, I can meet with. Yeah, and that's what I really, I love that. I've been finding, especially since after the pandemic, myself included, my anxiety is different. You know, I feel like jittery sometimes. And I think that the mental health services that we offer on campus are, are wonderful, but for someone who was interested to know about what it would look like to sign up for counseling, mm-hmm. what does that day-to-day, would you, t- like, your day-to-day, what do you do? Or if that's not the right question, how does a person come in to meet with you, and then what do you do, not, you know, all well, their I mean, business, but what does that look like sure. in your day in your job? Sure, yeah. So a student uh, gets referred to us by multiple ways. Maybe they saw advertisements for it and, and come in themselves. Mm-hmm. A instructor could refer them. Academic advisors, success coaches, teachers, anyone could uh, tell a student about our services. They make an appointment. So when they and we do prefer that they make an appointment so that we have a full 45 50 minutes with them right uh, and that it's built into our day for that and they're going to come in and that first session is going to almost be like a lot more questions i want to really kind of get a little bit of a snapshot of the student mm-hmm. and find out why they're at LCC what are some long term goals what's their living environment do they live on their own do they live with a their families still and their parents. Right. Uh, do they work on top of going to school? Why are they at LCC? All of those types of things. Um, but then most importantly, we want to find out why did they want to make the appointment? Mm-hmm. What are they coming in to talk to me about? And then we will set some goals, talk about it, focus on it. I always encourage the student to feel free to tell me if we're getting a little off track. Like I might pick up on something and I might start kind of running with it. And I want them to know they can say, well, Pam, that's really interesting. But today I really want to, I still want to focus on the issues I'm having with my mom, for example. Mm -hmm. And so we really try to let the student guide the session, talk about what's comfortable to them and help them see how 
mental wellness, mental health can influence and impact their school. Yes. Um, of course, we're primarily worried. We're primarily worried that students' um, mental health might be impacting their school. But some are great students, but they're still ha- they're still struggling, struggling yeah. with their mental health and anxiety, depression, whatever it might be. So we're a safe place for them to come in and talk about that. Mm-hmm. And uh, we are designed to be more short term, so we're not there for in depth psychotherapy. Uh, we can handle or work with students in typically 10 sessions or less. Okay. But that doesn't mean that we can't reevaluate that and um, still offer support for students. Or help them to find longer term counseling if they're looking at that or something like that. Because I really feel like you guys are a gateway, right? You open up an opportunity for them to be able to get counseling in a non-threatening way. You're not committed for life. It's free, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And then that way you can see what counseling is like and get an opportunity to say, ah, this isn't for me or this is for me. And then figure out what works and then you can help them process that. And I think that that's, it's nothing like having an unbiased person to listen to you mm-hmm. that has no meat in the game. Exactly. To be able to give you some insight or help you to problem solve or find some things out. And so mm-hmm. I was super excited to um, have you on the show today because I don't think people really know what we have to offer at LCC and the great counselors yep. that we have in that role. And, and can I just add, if mm-hmm. you don't mind, it, I, I'll i tell instructors or whoever that's making the referrals to say to the student, just come in and find out. Like right. one appointment doesn't lock you into any more than that. Um, and I also tell students, hey, if I'm not a good fit for you, we have other counselors exactly. on campus. And you don't judge McDonald's on one bag of French fries. Exactly. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Try them. <laughs> I, I've had some bad fries. I still go back. Right. So to it's finding the right fit in the counseling profession to help that person. So. Yeah. And I think that's so important because people will get frustrated. And they're like, I didn't feel that connection or it didn't we didn't mesh or whatever. And that you have to keep going. You have to find that right person that, you know, feels comfortable for you. So that way you can get the help that you want, you know, and need. Yep. Well, I, I think that you're a natural fit, but how did you get started in this career? Like what made you think that you wanted to be uh, in rehabilitation, vocational rehabilitation that ends the mental health counseling. What 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 started that for you? Okay, it's kind of an interesting path. So, somewhere in my childhood, I came across the Helen Keller story, mm-hmm. and Helen Keller, and then Annie Sullivan is uh, the woman that helped Helen Keller kind of break out of her deaf blind prison, right. for lack of better words, right now. And I was just fascinated by um, hearing loss and deafness, and but just I always liked the emotional component, the things that she had to overcome. And I read every version of the Helen Keller story and mm-hmm. the Annie Sullivan story, and um, so 
I thought I wanted to be a teacher for the deaf. Then that switched to audiology, which is testing hearing. I actually have my bachelor's degrees in speech and audiology. Oh, okay. And I started working on my master's in audiology and realized I didn't want to just fit hearing aids and say, okay, here's your hearing aid. Call me if you have a problem. I'll see you in a year. Right. Um, I really wanted to deal with the emotional aspects of either being someone with hearing loss or being the parents of a deaf child, hearing parents of a deaf child, for example. So mm-hmm. I always kind of had that passion, but then the, the underlying component was the counseling side of things. So uh, long story short, I quit with 10 weeks, I think one term left at MSU in my audiology master's program wow. <laughs> <laughs> and, and ran into some people serendipitously that led me to the vocational rehabilitation program. That mm. was a master's degree because an undergrad in audiology and speech is basically worthless. And, right. and I, w- I heard about this folk rehab program at MSU. I was able to get into the program, get some scholarship money for mm. it. Um, and, got the degree with that. And so I focused on hearing loss and deafness. And when I worked for the state, um, helping people find employment, my primary caseload was hard of hearing and Mm. and deaf. That connected me up to LCC. They had a really strong program for students with disabilities here. And then it also connected me with the MSU um, disability office as well. And so that gave me the college background so when an opening came up here, it was a natural fit for me. Right. It does. It sounds like, you know, it's the, it's so interesting, too, because you are 10 weeks away <laughs> from yes. earning your master's in audiology. Yes. And you just that see that to me, that's an intervention, right? Like it was that's like a divine intervention. That's something where, you know. Uh, whatever you believe, it, it's something that stops you that for you to go into the path that you're supposed to get in or that you find enjoyment. And I mean, that's amazing because most people would have been like, oh, I only got 10 weeks left. Yeah. I got to go ahead and finish, you know, and to be able to step out on faith like that. I mean, I think that's amazing. Yeah, I, I, I honestly put up a little prayer saying, I hate this program. If you show me what to do, I'll walk through the door. I, I met up with a guy that told me about the Volk Rehab program, and it's a really short version of it, but I, I've never seen him again since. Wow. <laughs> you know, that's amazing, though, yep. to me. Like, and I, yeah. And he just was a major influence on my life. I hope someday I run into him again. <laughs> so, yeah. But. No, I, I think that's a great yeah. story. Yeah. I and love learning. I've, I've been blessed ever since because I'm one of those lucky ones that actually has had a career in the degree that I got. Right. Yeah. No. For I, yeah. over thirty years. Altogether. Yeah. That's amazing. But it's not like that now everywhere. So I was gonna ask you, um, how did you think mental health impacts students attending college? You know, but I think you kinda covered, you know, that you can still be a good student, but you may need some support in other areas mm-hmm. and how you roll. So I think you answered that. Yeah. So well I, I would like to add, okay. though, that there are some students that really do struggle. Yeah. Um, they, especially with anxiety and depression, it inter- interferes with their ability to study, mm-hmm. inter- um, interferes with their ability to get the work done, the homework done. And then they may not have the self-confidence or, you know, they're feeling embarrassed or shame, so they don't tell the instructor. 
I just was so depressed this weekend I couldn't get my homework done, right. you know. And so it does, yes, we have students that are completely successful while they're struggling with other things, but we also have students that it does interfere. And um, so when I talk to students at some of our events to say, hey, you know, counseling's here, it's free, I, I tell them so many of our students say they, they can, when they start seeing a counselor, they have better focus. They have more energy. They're able to get their work done. They're able to set their academic goals. So it can be really helpful for the students that are struggling. Yeah, I, I agree. I think sometimes we have stinking thinking and we need people to help challenge our thoughts. Right. Mm -hmm. What are we you know, what's going on? Is that really what's going on? Or are we just working ourselves up into this, you know, frenzy and to have someone to bounce ideas, talk about your feelings, look at, OK, this is something that maybe like clinical depression, we need to go ahead and look at other avenues to help you, but just someone to help you sort out what you're feeling. And I, 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 that's why I think it's a great service and that people on campus, you know, our students really, really, really need to learn about it. Mm -hmm. But I also wanted to ask you, what would you like your legacy to be at LCC? Who. I think, to be honest, um, the other day I was talking to one of the success coaches and uh, she had just received her 10-year service award. And oh. I told her I have almost 28 years in. And she says, wow, and you still love to see the students. And I tell students all the time to come talk to you and that you still really care for the students, even though you've been here so long, you don't seem to be burnout. Mm -hmm. And so I guess that would be one thing that I would want is that people knew and always know that I'm student driven, mm -hmm. that I still care about the students, um, that it's what brings me to work every day, that just that I still really, really care about the students and I'm not just here biding my time till I retire. You know, that's so funny because last week um, I had Kathy Palomino and she's a speech uh, instructor here. And that's what she talked about. She did a TEDx talk about, you know, your passion and keep going and not waiting to you ready to retire mm -hmm. or not waiting till you can get off and do something else. You still have that energy and that passion. And I think that that's important because when you start to recognize that that's something that's not there, you need to do something else. Right. And so that's a good, you know, who who I would love to have people say when I left here that, yeah, she kept working with those students. She loved working with those students to the end. Yep. That's a good legacy. And people ask me, when are you retiring? And I'm like, well, I can in three years, but I don't know if I will. Yeah. And I'm not like, I don't have that clock countdown yet exactly it could change tomorrow but as right. of today I'm still not looking at a countdown clock because I still love what I do yeah I think that's great and I, that's beneficial to our students um what's your favorite quality about yourself Ooh, I, I think it's that I connect with people I like to learn about people I like to care about people mm -hmm. um People tell me sometimes they're that I they're surprised that I remembered certain things about them or whatever. So I think just letting 
um, people know that I care about them mm-hmm. and that they feel valued. Maybe mm-hmm. not in every interaction with me, but in some of the interactions right. with me, that's probably one of my what I feel is one of my most important qualities. Yeah, I, I, I think it is. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, do you have any hidden talents? Oh. Hidden tail. Can you do the unicycle? Is <laughs> no. there something we... Well, uh, not everyone now knows that I know sign language, but I, I couldn't be a sign language interpreter. But I, I can carry on a rough conversation because I did when I worked at the state. I, I learned some sign language from my clients there that carried over to LCC. But probably one of my most worth worthless hidden talents is that I'm really good at jigsaw puzzles. And to the point that it annoys some of the people when I'm doing puzzles with them because... Are you one of them people that can see the puzzles and pick it and put it in there? Oh, yeah. Yes. And so, um, but I'm like, yeah, it's a worthless talent. I wish I could figure out a way to make money at this, but um, I do enjoy it. It was one of the things I did a lot with my mom. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that's probably my hidden talent. Yeah, well, no, because that is a talent. It is. And you have to have patience. Yep. And there's something about being able to see how shapes fit in a different plate. You know, that's hard for me. I don't have that. And I, my friend, she loves uh, puzzles. And I'll go and it, we sitting there talking and she's putting pieces. And if I find like two pieces in two hours, I told her I, I've helped with this puzzle, right? <laughs> yep. So I try to take my credit where I can. Yep. But yeah, no, I think that that's pretty cool. I know that you have like um, hobbies. You like to travel. Mm-hmm. You've been to a lot of places, haven't you, out of the country? Yeah, I, I was been really blessed. It, it's probably been 10 or so years now, but I got to go to places like Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, LCC had an exchange, like a faculty exchange. So we hosted some German people here from Stuttgart really? and we had like a sister college that did similar things in Germany. Yeah. Wow, so, I never knew that. Yeah. And, and that was really fun. And then, um, I got to go to Germany as part of the exchange and we toured there. Of course, what we have GM, I think, we toured a Mercedes dealership there, okay, yeah. you know, not a, a dealership, but a factory. Uh, um, and then just got to know the country and their school set up and our school set up. And um, but then I also had friends that lived in Switzerland. I had a friend whose husband was um, working for GM in Japan. So I took advantage of visiting while they were wow. he had an apartment there. And then he went to Australia. And so I was able to go live with them for three weeks in their apartment. Wow. And then we traveled New Zealand together. So I, I've had some opportunities to do some fabulous um, travel internationally. And now I guess I'm ready to just maybe do some traveling around here. Um, you're pretty you're pretty familiar with Michigan, though, right? Like yeah. Because you, cause you go, I Michigan. see you travel yeah. different places around Michigan. What's your favorite spot in Michigan? Um, well... I inherited my mom's place in Frankfurt. Mm. So Frankfurt is um, not Frankenmuth. A lot of people get that mixed up. Um, Frankfurt is on the Lake Michigan shoreline. It's north of Manistee, uh, south of Sleeping Bear Dunes by about 30 minutes. So uh, about 45 minutes to an hour to get to Traverse City. So it's a a great little town I don't like to tell people about because... Right, you don't want them over-inundated. Don't want it over-inundated, but it's, it's, it's a city... It's a lot of fishing charter boats go out of there. Uh-oh. Great little shops. And um, 
it's so close to so many other things around there, you know. Leelanau mm. Peninsula, you know, all those yeah. wineries up in that right. area. Because that's something that's fun. Like, I got yes. into that with a few people from LCC about the wine tasting and breweries and different places like that and kind of getting to learn about that. Yep. So, oh, I got another place to visit now. Yes, you do. Anytime. Put that on my calendar. <laughs> um, another question. What life lessons have you learned the hard way? Who? That's that's a tough one. So I, I think um, just ig- ignoring my gut feelings sometimes um, in like relationships, probably dare, dating and marriage relationships, yeah. learning to recognize the red flags. Yes. Um, I think um, probably another one would be just not it took me a long time to find my voice and defend myself. Mm-hmm. I was always more worried about upsetting people and challenging people until a therapist that I went to said, have you ever thought you might gain more respect from some people if you challenged them? Hmm. And I never thought of it that way. I always thought of it as I would upset them and hurt their feelings or right. they wouldn't like me. And, you know, so learning those the hard way um, probably turned out okay anyway but yeah just yeah keeping silent when i should have spoke up probably and i think that's a wonderful message i've i've suffered from that myself you know like my not thinking i had something important to say mm-hmm. or mine that was my area you know and then realizing that i do have a voice and i represent people yeah that may not even be in a position or place that i'm at so i need to speak up yes. and say something so yeah, I, I love that. So I already know this, but I'm going to ask you, <laughs> go green or go blue? Oh, you know, I would say go green. However, however, the backstory is my dad was a huge Michigan fan. Okay. So I think the Michigan fight song was my lullaby as oh my a baby. God. I grew up watching Michigan football. You know, uh-huh. my dad took me to the big house the Sunday after football game one day. And he's like, isn't this awesome? And I was probably like six. And I'm like, OK, yeah. you know, it's a big <laughs> empty building. But um, so I grew up loving Michigan football. Oh. And um, <laughs> so when I told him I was transferring to Michigan State from Lake Superior State, you know, um, he wasn't horribly pleased but he of course supported me in the long run and mm-hmm. and it became a, a fun family rivalry and even though he's passed away my mom who's also passed away would try to walk the middle line but she was still secretly more of a Michigan fan oh. um, and my brother's a Michigan fan so but wow. when it comes to football and those I'm still more Spartan now because I have two degrees from there right but, yeah um but I don't tell anyone, but I will root for Michigan if they're not playing state. Okay, no, I agree with that. I figure, <laughs> yeah. like, that's the state of Michigan. I will root for them, too. But that that's interesting because I'm thinking, you know, you're just this, this diehard Michigan State fan. Yeah. But you have a lot of foundation of U of M. I do, and yeah. so I always makes... joke that I was the green sheep of the family. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> you definitely, you sound like it. Because I was going to ask you, like, how did you get interested in sports? But it sounded like your dad played a role in it. Yes. I, I was the oldest, and my first neighborhood had seven boys, so I guess I was kind of always like a tomboy. Um, but I always... Uh, like sports, my um, 
biggest thing was probably Detroit Tigers. Okay. <laughs> Growing up, I love the Tigers, and I was always, would always try to get Dad to take me down to baseball games in Detroit. So, and I like night games and Twilight or double headers. So I would always beg for the Twilight double headers, which I don't think hardly happens anymore at all. But oh yeah. Um, but it was a bit from Greenville. It was like a two and a half hour drive down to Detroit. So it was a big event to go. So, um, but yeah, then college football. And then I went, when I went to Lake Superior State, hockey, mm. ice hockey was big up there. Okay. So um, those are probably my three most favorite sports are like college hockey, football, I, Tigers, I still kind of follow. And then I also like um, the MSU basketball team. I like to follow them now too. So oh, yeah. yeah, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> well, Pam, our time is up. Well, it, it's like it went so quickly. It did. I, and I was like, man, I, I knew I was going to have a good time talking with you. I know you're very interesting. I think what you do is important to the college. And I really appreciate you taking time today to come on Who's That Star. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, it has been great. We may get you back. If we have some special, you know, things that's going on or, you know, something we can definitely promote, we'll have you come back. Okay. But you guys had the pleasure today of hearing Pam Davis from our counseling department here at LCC. I think you've heard how I feel about it. So if you need some support and want to try to figure out some things, please stop by uh, LCC Counseling. And they'll be glad to help you. You've been listening to Who's That Star? I'm Lisa A., and you can listen to this episode of Who's That Star and other shows from LCC Connect anytime online at lccconnect.org. Thank you for listening. Catch me next time to find out Who's That Star? This is LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Lansing Community College's Fresh Start program forgives outstanding student balances, allowing students to re-enroll without penalty. Fresh Start does not apply to student loan creditors. Learn more at lcc.edu slash fresh start. My name is Dale Pazinski. I'm 19 years old, and this is how I live united. I've always been kind of a computer geek, and I found a way to use those skills to help the homeless in my community. For people facing hard times, computer skills and a basic resume are so important. It may seem like a small thing, but it makes a huge difference in people's lives. So with United Way, I created a program where I work with the homeless. Together, we go through their whole job history, write a resume, and then save it on their very own USB drive. We provide workbooks and training certificates. I even budgeted for cupcakes so we can celebrate as a class when one of our people gets a job. That's huge. When somebody says, hey man, that job that you helped me apply for, I got it. That's what Living United feels like to me. My name is Dale Pazinski. I help people achieve financial independence. So I don't just wear the shirt, I live it. Give, advocate, volunteer, live united. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. 
Operations at Lansing Community College is a proud collaborator of the Mason Promise Scholarship. The Mason Promise Scholarship is a community organization of volunteers that guarantees funding for two years of Lansing Community College education to selected Mason Public School students. For more information on the Mason Promise Scholarship at LCC, please visit lcc.edu slash hope. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. You're listening to Art Happens Here, the podcast that explores the often curious and occasionally amazing art installations on, in, and around the campuses of Lansing Community College. I'm your host, Bruce Mackley. I think it's impossible to talk about LCC and art without mentioning today's guest. His talent spills into so many different categories, and calling his work wildly imaginative is a vast understatement. Seeing his creativity over the years only hints at what lengths the human imagination is capable of. Dennis Preston, welcome to Art Happens Here. Oh, thank you. This is great. I mean, where do I even begin? Um, we met when I was in high school. Uh, you came in as a guest speaker and basically blew our minds with, with your stuff. I mean, everybody wanted to be you when you left. Um, <laughs> there was nobody like you then and there's nobody like you now, you know, to be completely honest with you. Um, well, let me just frame this up a little bit. Um, first of all, you're incredibly prolific. Um, you have, you've done album covers, posters, fine art prints, murals, caricature renderings, adult coloring books. You've managed to publish music. I mean, uh, wow. I mean, the, the body of work that you look back on is, um, it's really impressive. So, well, I know you've done interviews before and I'm going to try to keep this, um, non-generic. I'm going to try, but how about your background? I mean, you're from this area, right? Yep. I grew up here. Yep. Um, you went to Eastern High School? Eastern, Pattengill, and Foster. Okay. And um, I can only guess, uh, trying to picture you on the floor with the crayons when you were a kid, you're probably, you're probably into art from an early age. I started in first grade. Yeah. yeah. I don't even remember drawing in kindergarten. Uh, did the teachers fight over your work? <laughs> If they did, I didn't see them do it. <laughs> oh, come on. Oh, uh, no. 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 So you gravitated toward toward creativity. Was there anything else that you that you were interested in doing or was art and creativity it? It was art. It was I didn't I wasn't interested in sports. Mm -hmm. uh, and even back then I didn't like music. Yeah. So it was yeah, total focus starting in first grade was art. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's uh, worked out for us. I mean, wow. Um, well, just touching on your, um, on your creative style a little bit, um, looks like you, as an illustrator, let me start. There's so many different things, the typography and the fine art and the humorous illustration stuff that you do. It's all held together with, with your, your style. I mean, your graphic style is very, um, it's strong and it's confident and it's recognizable. Um, I can't even imagine the number of people you've influenced over the years artists that you've influenced with your style. I was definitely one of them. I mean, for sure. Dennis Preston, I mean, there's no better, there's no better um, role model or, or, you know, something specific to such a strong and, and recognizable style. Um, well, what, what I see is hugely influenced uh, by Rick, Rick Griffin and Patrick Woodruff. I mean, was that intentional? Uh, were there other influences in your, in your background? Um, I don't know who Woodruff is. 
I, for sure, I know who Rick is. Yeah. Um, as far as influences, he, he, he was a pretty big one. But in high school, I think they all kind of funneled together where it was Rick Griffin, um, uh, Salvador Dali, mm-hmm. Magritte, yeah. uh, Beardsley. And then after, well, part we, when I graduated from high school, I, I got more exposed to other art styles too. Mm-hmm. But the main thing is during high school, uh, one of my art teachers, Mrs. Scheidler, she exposed me to different art styles. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much where I picked up on the Art Nouveau. They were seeing that I was kind of drawn mm-hmm. to that style, mm-hmm. even though I wasn't uh, exactly painting in that style Mm -hmm. but the last year of high school is when I start getting more into designing things for bands so I was I had my eyes open so I did see that there was concert posters out there and Rick Griffin's style was one of the styles that I could see in them yeah it's beautifully designed and yeah in your concert posters that that Art Nouveau and I could make an entire segment on your mastery of typography because I'm here to tell you, uh, it is not something that every creative, every graphic designer can can fully get. And my guest here is um, a master at custom typography. He he pushes the boundary of recognizability and legibility and art, and it balances out to where it catches your eye and you can get it. And it's it's artwork at the same time. And he's humble; he's just smiling at me over there. But he knows <laughs> he knows it's true. Um, I mean, it's so. It sounds like you're talking about somebody else. <laughs> I know it does, but. No, I look for for typography because it's its own discipline. It's its own like subdiscipline within design, you know. And and you've you've nailed it, especially with those early concert posters. Um, while we're on the subject, how many bands? I mean, what kind of mention some famous names that you've done concert posters for? Wow. Uh, well, back then, it was I was you know, it was kind of like the thing where. I would get contacted to do the posters. So I didn't really mm-hmm. choose who I, you don't go out and you ask, Hey, can I do your poster? Or anything sure. like that. Yeah. So like some of the names that I ended up doing them for, you know, were like Ravi Shankar, uh, the birds, wow. uh, big brother and the holding company. Um, wow. The Steve Miller band, Alice Cooper. Jeez. Um, Wow, That's I'm trying to I'm trying to dig back into my brain, seeing all these names. Yeah. Um, uh, there were some blues ones included in there. Um, do you have yeah. any Do you have any stories about? Did you deal directly with the bands, or was it through another entity like their manager? It would either be the promoter mm-hmm. or managers. Mm-hmm. Uh, mostly, it was the concert promoters or mm-hmm. people that owned the venues. Mm-hmm. Uh, I dealt a lot with the promoters, mm-hmm. um, but I did hear some things back through them yeah. about the people yeah. that I did the posters of, you know, uh-huh. yeah. you know, or they wanted copies of them or, yeah. um, where they would ask more questions about me, you know, they were wanting to know if I was open to doing other work and stuff like that. But that's great. I would have liked to done some album covers for some of those people, but mm-hmm. you know, it was mainly the concert posters. Yeah, there's a timestamp quality, uh, you know, that history. That's um, it's really something now. Looking back on it, and that it's part of that time period and part of their it's part of their body of work. 
Yeah. You know, it's, and it's, I think it's great. I didn't use the word cool. I'm, I'm weaning myself off the word cool. I, think I might end up saying it. Well, <laughs> you can take mine. Uh, no, I think it's great. Ask when, me that cool. Yeah, here's some cool, some yeah. Kool-Aid. Not the Kool-Aid. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. No, but I'll take a couple of those cools. <laughs> um, when bands are involved to that level, I know the Stones were, you know, the studio hypnosis did those amazing album covers for, you know, Floyd and whatnot. And there's that picture of Emerson, Lake and Palmer hanging out with HR Giger, you know, for the brain salad surgery. And you can tell that they're just into the artwork that represents their music. And, um, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, well, you're, you, you referred to, and I'm going to be all over the place. I'm not Go I'm, over to I'm a, I'm a, I, don't <laughs> I don't mind. I'm not going anywhere for a little bit here. Good, good. Okay, a little um, swig of tea. I think um, mainly, I mean, I can only imagine how many people you've met. You are, um, in, a, in its clearest form, you're an entertainer. I mean, you, uh, you're entertaining to talk to. You, you're a musician. Uh, you, have, you develop um, dialogue and with people that you draw. Um, the coffee shop doodles, you, re- you refer to these things as doodles. And I guess that's fine from your viewpoint, being a master illustrator. They're more than doodles. Um, they're napkin doodles, I think. Well, can I explain why I call them a doodle? Please. I call them a doodle because they're not really planned out. Uh-huh. I'll just start drawing. Oh, okay. I'll draw like an eye or something and see where that goes. Or... Uh-huh. Somebody might say something in the coffee shop. I, I don't do it anymore. You know, there, that stopped in 2013 where mm-hmm. I used to hang around in a big V and do that. But mm-hmm. different things would influence me while I was sitting there. Uh-huh. You know, but to me, it wasn't really something planned out. That's why I call them a doodle. I'll I just see. start drawing and just see where they go. Well, they're all, um, well, they're, they bury your distinctive style. Uh, and they populated uh, the Bigby coffee shops around town for a long time. I remember the first time I started seeing these, I'm like, his knuckle must be, I mean, you're so, you must be drawing all the time because your style, you, you do the cross hatching and the hatching and the stipple and you, you, you balance it out and there's nothing, maybe this is the wrong word. There's nothing lazy or make this quick about your work. It's, it's crafted. Even the doodles are crafted. And there's something that I noticed with, with these, their, their character renderings of, for those of you, maybe the three people who live in the woods without connectivity that aren't, haven't seen these, um, they're, they're like caricature, character renderings of, of people. Well, no, they're not the exact person. I'm not drawing. No, no, no they're not, but they're out of your imagination. Well, yeah, there are the imagination, but I might be seeing somebody and I go, wow, you know, uh-huh. check out their features. Okay. And I get influenced that way and then oh, I'll draw man. somebody that's similar to that uh-huh. because that's happened too. When I was doing the napkins, somebody walks in, I go, oh, you know, I go, I had to do something that looks similar to that person. And then the, the, and then it, the memory bank. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and that's pretty full. Wow. I, I read somewhere that when we dream and there are people in our dreams, it's faces that we've seen. We, we can't make up faces in our, in our minds. Really? Yeah. Uh, patterns, plaids, you name it. It's all like part. It goes in. Wow. Yeah. It's like a memory bank. <laughs> um, but given the something that I think is very endearing with with these rendering is they're kind of a there's a comfortable you see is what you see is what you get vibe with your, your creature doodles. It really strikes a chord. Um, 
people are drawn to them and they celebrate individualism and each one is unapologetically one of a kind. I mean, they are, it, they're kind of upbeat and they're, you know, well, there's some ugly ones in there. Yeah, there are, you know, that aren't really, yeah, they're not. Happy, happy looking. Not happy, happy looking, but they all seem comfortable in their own skin. Yeah. Yeah. And um, that's relatable to people. Sorry, I I just think it is. (laughs) Um, And your your work also has a a friendly, here's here's, here's what I'm beating around. I've seen your your illustrative work, your your serious, more involved stuff, the stuff they did years ago where you could do book covers and they weren't as cartoonish. They were more serious fantasy renderings and stuff. Um, you could, given how fantastic some of your images are, I don't think you've ever frightened small children with your drawings. Oh, uh, well. Oh, uh, huh? well. Huh? Uh, well, huh? the thing is, is uh, the, uh, the closest thing I could relate that to is um, drawing caricatures. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when I've drawn little kids and they see their caricature, they don't understand it's supposed uh. to be exaggerated. <laughs> so that, I don't think it's a fear thing, but it's not, you know, they're wondering why people are laughing at it or, oh, yeah. and it doesn't register in their brain. Okay. It's a cartoon version of them. It's like kids don't get sarcasm either. It's like that. It's okay. more evolved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. you have to explain you have to explain to them, okay, this is what you would look like if you were a cartoon. And then mm-hmm. it sinks in. And mm-hmm. then they go, Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, the only other thing I can relate to that as far as scaring people with my art. Mm-hmm. Um I did a CD, I put out a CD in nineteen ninety one and on the album cover, yeah, there are some demons and some pretty ugly looking things huh. going on and uh, it was, it was called toys from hell. And <laughs> the thing was, is like, I had this, uh, my CD was on consignment in a store in Grand Rapids. Mm-hmm. And there was one time I went in there and I go, Oh, they sold them all. Mm-hmm. And so I, I went to <clears throat> talk to the person in charge of the music and I go, well, you sold them all. Do you want some more? And they go, uh, no, or in fact, we're going to give you these back. Because people thought the cover was too scary. Really? Yeah. And I go, oh, okay. You know, That's so. kind of flattering in a weird way, isn't it? Uh, well, you, well, they're not selling my music. Though. <laughs> I know. You overshot the mark, right? Yeah. And then there was this uh, another thing. Of, I did an album cover for a band, and uh, the record label said it was too scary. Huh. So I had to redo the whole cover and... Mm-hmm make a you know it still had some items in it that was in the first cover but it looked a whole lot more safer for the public yeah and fear is a funny thing what triggers i mean it's um it's subject to interpretation i think you know where i remember uh you familiar with bernie wrightson no bernie wrightson was a um an illustrator a comic illustrator for many years in fact he did a one of his great works was illustrated Frankenstein. He did this amazing line work. Just you look at one of his drawings and it must take, you know, two weeks to do one of these things Whoa. with the glass and the table and all this stuff. Was it color or black and white? Both. Yeah, both. There was a picture he did. He did a lot of like swamp thing 
and um, dark comics, uh, weird war tales, you know, that kind of like bordering on, you know, eerie and creepy were yeah. huge with him, right? Yeah. Um, there was a picture of a, of a guy who had, um, he was leaning on a fence and there were all these human heads because he was a, you know, he collected human heads. And there was some type of pushback on that artwork. And he said, look, that's cartoonish. That's not in any way, shape or form. That's not scary. That's silly. Now, scary would be feet with bows on the toes, something like, you know, a little bit off. I mean, if that makes any kind oh, of weird sense. Okay. More of a right. warped, right. You not know. your standard headhunter. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, like if you, on the toes. Yeah. If you look at, you know, even cinema today, um, some of these things are, you know, they're, they're templates and I don't know, I like scary movies. I haven't been scared in years. So I keep, I keep trying at any rate. No, I mean, try that today. I mean, uh, today there's just all manner of everything out there, um, wow. to choose from. So, um, well, more about your past. You, uh, <laughs> I'm still thinking about bows on the toes. Yeah, I know. I'll send you <laughs> a link. That, to where did that come from? Remember from his work. <laughs> oh, he. Oh, I. Okay. So no, his not, work. It's no, not no, something you made up. God. No, 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 no. This was <laughs> he was responding to somebody about oh, one of his paintings. Okay. All right. You know, because they were talking about this painting is really scary and weird. And he goes, "This isn't scary and weird." Now that would be scary and weird, like that. Okay. He was part of. Um, there was a book called The Studio. It was published by uh, Dragon's Dream back when, and it had to do with Jeffrey Jones, Bernie Wrightson, Michael Kaluta, and Barry Windsor Smith all occupied this loft in New York. And it was collaborative. It was just, they did their best work in this three years of time. And this book is a collector's item now, and I have one. It's falling apart, but all this great early comics and, you know, life drawing and fantasy rendering and all this, all this That would things. be something, wouldn't it? Yeah. To have like an apartment that has that kind of talent all in one place. That's what it was. They'd wander around and they'd check out each other's work and uh, back in the 70s too. I mean, that whole melting pot thing. Um, well, I mentioned LCC with you and you, to me, I mean, you're synonymous with this institution. Uh, you started teaching here in 77, am I yep. right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Humorous, humorous. Uh, yep. No? What was it? When I... When I applied for the job, I, you know, I went through three different interviews mm -hmm. and I said, I'd like to teach cartooning. And they said, we don't have a cartooning class. I huh. said, oh. I go, oh, wow, I, you know, that's what I'd like. To, I would like to teach that. Yeah. And at one of the interviews, John Hutton happened, happened to be sitting in the same room when I was being interviewed. Mm -hmm. So anyway, what happened Okay, I'm, I'm trying to think. Of, okay, how much story do I tell you? It was a minute ago. I know, 40 years ago. Yeah, well, no. 40 years it's plus. Still, it's, I, I can remember it all, yeah. but the thing was is there wasn't a course in that. John overheard mm -hmm. the, uh, you know, the talking. And, and uh, so John developed a class. He developed a cartooning class, and it was more, and, and the thing was, this is before um, I... I think this was before I was hired, but uh, actually to go back to that, um, I did these interviews because my uncle was bugging me to teach down here. Really? He taught down here. Okay. Did he teach art? No. Oh. He was teaching in a whole different area, and he would say, you ought to go down there and teach. You it's to go very, down there it's teach. very worthwhile. I mean, well, it's... Uh, he, did it, he did it for a year. He bugged me about... And then <clears> that's when I finally, okay, you know, I'll go down there for the uh, interviews. And then... Um, 
after the last one, I just kind of went home, okay, and I just said, oh, and prayed. I just said, God, if you want me to have this, you know, make it happen. If not, mm-hmm. I'm cool with that. Yeah. And then I get the call, and they go, we want you. And I go, okay, when? They go, next week. I go, whoa. And when I came in, like I said, there wasn't a cartooning class. Mm-hmm. So the classes that they first had me teach was graphic design and lettering. Mm-hmm. Because... You know, each interview I went to, I had a portfolio, and they could see which areas I was strong in. Yeah. So there was some brochure kind of thing, but mostly concert posters. Mm -hmm. So they could see, okay, this guy can draw, this guy can letter, you know, he can design. So that's what they had me teach. Mm -hmm. So after that first semester is when John developed cartooning. After John put together that class, I took it over. I can't imagine John Hutton teaching cartooning. Cartooning, from his view, was more technical. <laughs> well, he never smiled. And there you go. There was less humor in what he was doing. He yeah. was coming from a whole different... Oh, he was an know. agency guy back when. Well, you know, John, John was cool at what he could do. Yeah. But, like I said, I took it and I rearranged... The course mm-hmm. where it would start out with basics, you know, because you're getting all kinds of students coming through, some that are already knowing how to cartoon and yeah. some that it's new to them, some it was required, yeah. you know, so I wanted to start out things simple for them, you know, but mm-hmm. at the same time, if somebody wanted to go further and put more detail into their work, I was open to it. Yeah. The main thing I, my goal was to help them at where they were coming from and not to put any any part of me in them, not my style. Right, yeah. But to help them out, you know, as far as with the basics, okay, you can't have an arm coming out of the ribs like that. It comes out of a shoulder. Sure. You know, so it was like yeah. well, basic I, stuff. I remember taking your class. This would have been in the mid-'80s, I think. And um, looking back on it, I look back on it as it was great. And your teaching style... You were very laid back. You were um, obviously very talented and teaching something that is means so many different things to different people. Uh, there was a girl that sat next to me that was in tears. Uh, she was literally crying because she couldn't cartoon. And you took her aside, and I don't know what you said to her, but she was she was renewed. You know, she was back on track. Um, and you were funny too. That's another thing about you know that that whole thing about how wit cannot be faked. Uh, you're, you're naturally witty and, um, it just helped. It helped in the class. It was a really fun class. Uh, as a matter of fact, you mailed some stuff to me. You mailed some stuff to me a few oh, months ago. Oh, okay. And I, you know, vomit inducing isn't probably the correct term, but it was my work from, from, from college. And it was just, Ooh, you know, I thought I, can, I, I remember too. There's ooh. some, there's somebody that you forgot to draw ears on. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's another thing. Oh, that's another thing. You entered a contest. You used to enter these contests. One was an album cover for the tubes and you won it. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. And you had this like, because they were, they changed their image halfway through and you did like this guy that was like backward transforming into, into a hippie or something. Yeah. Yeah. And then you entered a, another contest. Remember Ziggy, the cartoon Ziggy, the the guy Ziggy. I, I know the character. Yeah, and you, you, it was like fill in the what he's saying. You know, there was a bubble, and you'd fill it in. And you wrote, "Has anyone seen my ears?" 
Oh, because I, I didn't. Is that hilarious? That. Because nobody put it because he didn't have ears. And oh. uh, has anyone seen my ears? I mean, it's just out of the gate, just really sharp and really funny. You know, I don't know if you won that one either. You probably did. I, I, I don't even remember that. I remember the tubes one because I won, I won a TV set. Yeah, it was a TV set. Yeah. A television tube. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <Right>. actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. No. So, well, at, L- at LCC, you were uh, you were an institution here. And I mentioned your, um, your appeal, the appeal you had with your artwork. You certainly influenced me and my pen and ink and everything coming up and countless other people. With uh, as much as you didn't want to impose your style, your style was so captivating and it's so visually engaging. You know, it just you just like gravitated to that. So, um, you know, I would yeah, there's the you knows. Um, I didn't even catch that. Yeah, well, I, w- I would like to take a poll, you know, at some point and talk to uh, talk to people who have been influenced by Dennis Preston. Um, we've got a few more minutes here. I'd like to um, I'd like to have you back and continue our conversation, though, and get into what you're up to these days and what you look forward to doing and other things, um, client things, things that we haven't heard before. Um, you've you've done interviews, so I do have a couple questions a little off the track that could be kind of uh, kind of fun. So does that sound okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, have Den- they been fun for others to do that? No, no. Oh, these are on. these are unique to Preston to the Dennis uh, Preston. No, I meant when did did you come up with questions that you, they just never would have thought? I try. Well, that's good. Well, not everybody has done interviews before like you have. I, you know, I think I know about you. I mean, I've followed you, and we run into each other every so often. I have friends on Facebook and whatnot. By the way, you're a master marketer. I mean, you you do know the marketing business with with what you do. Um, many creatives do not do that and they don't understand my humble viewpoint working in marketing. Now they don't understand that you have to put almost as much into marketing yourself as you do the actual artwork to flourish in this. And you embraced social media. You've, you've dove, you dove right into it and you use it, you leverage, leverage it, those platforms to their best, their best advantage. So hats off to that. Wow. Love seeing your stuff too online when it pops up in the old pictures. Anyway, that's the that's the one one of the good things of, of social media is you can peek into others' lives like that. So, uh, well, Denny Preston, it's been remarkably great talking to you, and uh, come back again, and we'll we'll talk about the future. Sound good? Okay, thanks. Pablo Picasso once said. Every child is an artist. The problem is how to remain an artist once we grow up. If you want to check out what I've been talking about, just visit this episode at lccconnect.org. Art Happens Here is a production of LCC Connect. Thanks for lending us your imagination. Featuring the staff faculty, students, and others that help to make Lansing's Premier College what it is today. You're listening to LCC Connect. To find out more about our featured programs or to listen on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Lansing Community College's Business and Community Institute provides businesses with customized, synergistic trainings that realize logistical opportunity. Learn more about the future of business today at lcc.edu slash bci.
Who do I swim for? I swim on my high school team for my mom, who gets up at 5 o'clock every morning to take me to practice. I swim for hugs from my teammates, spaghetti dinners, and my lucky neon green goggles. I swim for Coach Murray, who pushes me to dig deep and finish strong. More than 7.7 million American teenagers participate in high school sports every year, including about 300,000 here in Michigan. They're all learning essential life lessons, like the importance of hard work, time management, and self-discipline, skills that are helping them become better leaders and more active, responsible citizens. Most of all, I swim for myself, because I learn more about who I am and who I want to be every time I dive into the pool. That's who I swim for. This message presented by the Michigan High School Athletic Association and the Michigan Interscholastic Athletic Administrators Association. 